Welcome to the Selling from the Heart podcast, your home for authentic, effective, and socially integrated sales strategies to help you master the art of selling. Join your co-hosts, Larry Levine and Daryl Amy, along with some of the world's best sales thought leaders and practitioners as we explore ways to help you grow your sales. Hello and welcome back to the Selling from the Heart podcast. Your co-host, Daryl Amy, here today with Larry Levine. What's going on, Larry? Well, in the in the advent of what's going on, there's no sports, right? What's I'm, not going on, right? What, yeah, exactly, Daryl. <laughs> what's not going on, right? I would have been, we would have been one week into the Dodgers starting the season seven and zero and all that, and right now I, I I'm watching <laughs> I'm watching reruns of sporting events and fantasy stuff being thrown all over social right now. But if you're listening right now, you're listening to the Selling from the Heart podcast. Hey, if you're new, by the way, welcome. You've joined a growing community of sales professionals that are dedicated to being genuine, being authentic, adding real value. We call it Selling from the Heart. And Larry, uh, right now, this is, uh, I mean, to to say it's an unprecedented time, we've like worn that out. But I, I think one of the things that's happening out of this time right now well, two things. First of all, authenticity has um, always been important, but the spotlight's on it. Um, you've got to be real. And the second thing that is right at the top of everyone, everyone's list right now is, is community, is finding a way to, to figure out how to get together and navigate successfully um, in this season and beyond. And I think those two things are really good. And those those are two of the things that have really prompted the beginning of the Selling from the Heart Insiders Group on Facebook. And I'm so excited about all the things that are happening right now with that. It is cool to see the authentic sales community gathering together and the resources and the just the interaction in there, Larry, is so exciting. Well, I, I concur. And, and it's I, I never wish something like this would happen to spurn the message even more around Selling from the Heart. But that old saying that's been worn out forever and a day, it is what it is. We can't control that. But what we can control is the community and how we're bridging. I, you know, it's almost like bridging digital communities. And you know, I'm a Brene Brown junkie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that, that book, Gifts of Imperfection, are just slapping me across the face right now. And she even talks about it. And that's what we're doing in the, in the group is we're bridging communities. People are pouring their hearts out right now. And it's time for the sales profession to say, you know what? We are going to digest what authenticity and being genuine and being real and being loving and being respective is all about. This is a great time for everyone to latch onto that and change the course of the sales profession. Boy, that is so true, Larry. And um, if you want to check it out, we'd love for you to join us. Um, you know, our hope is that all of the Selling from the Heart community becomes a part of this group and we all invest in each other. And so you can check that out at sellingfromtheheart.net slash Facebook. But, you know, you said earlier, Larry, that that this time of adversity is kind of bringing these important things that have always been important, but it's shining the spotlight on them, bringing them to the surface. And I think today's guest is definitely the epitome, and, and if not, maybe even more so a forerunner that can bring a lot of wisdom to the table. So I am so excited about this conversation today. No, I've, I've been massively excited. And and who would have thought when Matt Newman and I were first came to be, right? And, and we just reached out. Actually, Matt reached out to me on social 
And just based on selling from the heart, we struck up a conversation. I actually caught Matt in his car, if you remember that. And we just started talking. We hit it off, obviously, because we're sports junkies and so forth. Matt told me a story, and I go, oh, my Lord, you have to come on the Selling from the Heart podcast. And we set up the date, which the date has we're recording this as we're in the middle of this virus. We did not know what was going to happen. And I think the message that Matt's going to share today with us is just ever, ever, ever so apparent right now. So without further ado, Matt Newman, welcome to Selling from the Heart, man. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I just want you to know, Larry, I wore this Yankee shirt just for you, <laughs> just to make sure that you would be able to see it the entire time. Dude, you're killing me, Newman. You're killing me, man. <laughs> Let the trash talk begin. Hey, Matt, we're, we're so glad that you're here with us today. I can't wait for this conversation. I think maybe the best way to tee this whole thing up is to ask the question that we ask all of our guests, which is, what does it mean to you to sell from the heart? It's a great question that you ask because when we think of sales, you think of all these processes you can go through. You think of these educational books you can read. The reality is, is people are attracted to people. They want honesty. They want integrity. They want someone to connect with them in the heartstrings to most importantly, let them know one thing. We're going to be there for you when things are bad. We can give you good news at these deepest and darkest of times. We can give you some contact person to alleviate certain things. The real basis of sales is built off connection. When you connect directly with someone, you could be selling anything. You have a responsibility to do it the right way. But once you truly connect with someone, they don't buy the product or the widget. They buy you. And I've not only learned that prior to going through some crazy times, all it did is get reinforced in my life, the realness of connecting with someone and that building moats around people is done through honesty and integrity. Yeah. And, and I think right now, the whole word that you just used around connection, if there's ever a time to truly connect with people, it's right now. But, you know, time and time again, it's, are we really connecting? Or are we really connecting? if you get what I'm throwing at you. And this is the time just to rip masks off. This is the time just to rip band-aids off and really truly connect to somebody. And like you said, Matt, you know, tug on the heartstrings. You know, I'll take it a step further too. And I use this simple story all the time. Think about any type of sales industry, whatever it's pharmaceutical, financial, whatever it may be. Think how many times you brought on a client, something happened and you send them like a sleeve of golf balls. You want to say thank you. Here's the question that I have for the majority out there. How many times did you send someone a sleeve of golf balls? And within two weeks, you received a handwritten note that said this, Larry, I can't tell you how much those golf balls mean to me. <laughs> the inspiration that they provided when they came to my house are something that is, I, I can't compete with. It's amazing. <laughs> the logo for selling from the heart is so important to me. That when I lose these golf balls, I will look nine hours in the woods. I will never, ever give them up. They will always be on Here's the reality. So. Oh, no, one gives, no one gives a crap about the golf balls. You do something real. You do something personal. You do something that means somebody to someone. So when they're talking to somebody else and they're sharing that book, they're sharing mm -hmm. that movie, they're sharing that article. It's no, Larry Levine gave those to me. It means a lot to me. You should reach out to him actually and give him a call. Sales are built by hitting people in the spot that immediately opens up. And when you combine honesty and integrity and, you know, and combine them together, you know what it brings? It brings inspiration. And when you inspire someone that way, they are with you for life unless you go above and beyond to ruin that. And then it's on your shoulders. 
Beautiful. And I think, you know, Larry, you talk a lot about a term that I think is, is so appropriate here, and that is speed to heart, right? It, how fast can we get to, to the heart? Because until you do that, you're just a sleeve of golf balls. You're just another, you know, drink cup with a logo printed on it. Uh, you know what? I don't play golf anymore, Matt, but I'm never going <laughs> to golf balls the same. Even worse. <laughs> Even worse. But Matt, you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm right on that one too. You know, I'm right. Yeah, I know you are. <laughs> so Matt, we, we were talking about earlier, obviously we're in this a crazy season yeah. of adversity right now and, and, um, and we could laugh about it, but it's, it's, it's got some serious effects yeah. on our listeners. It's, it's not easy to be a sales professional right now. Um, yet, you know, as, as I hear your story and, and you've gone down a crazy road of adversity, um, there were some huge things that happened in your life and in your heart that, uh, totally transformed who you are. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe let our listeners in on that story a little bit, cause this is an incredible story of transformation. Yeah. So I, I grew up in the house of my father being a financial advisor and my mother was a school teacher. And there were two, like I was saying before, unbelievably different occupations, but they were planting seeds that didn't really grow when you were young. But as you got older, they started to blossom and you started to have an understanding of things you learned at a young age, but didn't make sense to you at that given moment. So with my father in financial planning, I remember I graduated from the University of Delaware in 1996. Maya Angelou just gave our our commencement. My parents come out on the football field. I'm wearing my blue cap and gown. And my father comes up and he goes, uh, hey, so uh, pretty good. I'm like, yeah, man, the king has arrived. Graduated from college, right? (laughs) And he says, so what do you want to do now? And I grew up in northern Jersey right outside the city. I said, well, dad, that's easy. I'm going to join your firm. Can I speak freely on this one or should I clean my language up pretty good? (laughs) You can say, like, speak freely. <laughs> my, fa- my father's from the Bronx, and my dad looked at me and he goes, But our listeners aren't from the Bronx. <laughs> right. My dad goes, There's no bleeping way that you're doing. And I was angry and I was upset. Yeah. I was yeah. like, He goes, You want to figure this business out in financial planning? You get your licenses, you get jobs, you come back and you talk to me in a few years. And as angry as I was, and every picture of me was like, Mad, he was giving me one of the greatest lessons in life. There's no free lunches. Mm-hmm. Go out and earn it. Go see if it's something for you. Go f- see if it's something that makes sense. So what I did was I became a wholesaler and I would go out and get all the same licenses as everybody else. And I took the lessons that I learned in financial planning and I converted them into going to see financial advisors and showing them why they should use our products, where they fit and where they don't. But here's the line that I always used. The job of the financial advisor is to be there when things are bad. The job is to give people good news at the deepest and darkest of times. The job is to have a plan in place prior to the negative so there's some semblance of hope when people need it. And I always promised I would practice everything that I preached. I got married about 10 years later, and my first son was going to be born about nine months after our wedding. I'll let you guys do the math on that one. And my wife and I lived in Center City, Philadelphia. We were moving out of Philly. And I remember my dad sitting down with me going, what do you say every day? Our job is to be there when things are bad, give people good news. That's what we do. We're planners. He goes, do you practice everything you preach? I was like, yeah. He goes, you're about to take on a lot more responsibility. You're going to have a child building your home. Do you do everything you preach? I said, well, he goes, so you don't. Here's what's interesting. When we hear about financial planning, people think it's investments. That's not true. That's the last rung on the ladder. It's building the foundation of One, wills, 
power of attorneys. It's building a foundation of legal documents that if something bad happens, somebody else can make the proper decisions that you want. You don't have to go through these different types of horrible situations because the plan was built. And the top is the investments. There's life insurance. There's trust work. There's a, and it's not how much money you have. Frankly, the U.S. education system is flawed. We teach nothing to students about picking their benefits, what a 401k is. We teach them to get in the real world, yeah. but then they're on their own going forward. I was privileged that these things that were growing in me now made sense. I have to do all this stuff. And over the next two weeks, I did all of it. And as all my children were born, my fr- I had three children within 37 months. We still don't sleep very much. But unfortunately, my father-in-law was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2010. He was 60 years old. And my first experience with cancer happened when I was 15. My grandma, Harriet, was diagnosed with cancer. I wasn't old enough to understand it or digest it or really get it. But one day she was Grandma Harriet. The next day she was wearing a turban. And the next day she was gone. What I do remember is the pain and the anguish of what it did to my family, watching my mother turn into a different person, watching her cry her eyes out, watching her just be emotionally drained, anxiety and anger. And I I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have hugged her. I I didn't get it. It didn't make sense to me. But my mom and my grandmother were like two peas in the pod. They spoke every day on the phone. And every weekend they were at our house in Parsippi, New Jersey. We were at their house in Fairlawn. My wife was the same way with her father. My wife grew up in mining country, Pennsylvania, a very blue collar area. And I watched my wife pregnant with our third child. Two of them already were born, drive her father down every single day, 45 minutes to the University of Pennsylvania to get him his treatment, get him his surgery. They didn't bitch. They didn't complain. They just stepped up. What I saw was inspirational. It was about family. It was about being there. It was real. And it was amazing to be a part of. I remember sitting with my father-in-law, Larry, and he told me I had two goals. One was that he wanted all three of his grandchildren to be born before he passed. And the second was he wanted them to be old enough to have real memories of him. Uh. I saw a warrior. He never complained. He just did what he needed to do to try and do it. And pancreatic cancer usually have a very short shelf life. In 2013, he was in what I call the roller coaster of cancer. Things are going good, then they're going bad, then they're going... Cancer does what it wants, when it wants. It doesn't care about our emotion. It doesn't care what our plans are. It goes in any direction it feels like going. And in 2013, he was three, almost just under three years into it, and he was doing okay. And I was driving on a snowy, miserable day in Bridgewater, New Jersey, up Route 202. There's accents all over the side of the road. I'm like, I don't need this today. I'm I'm just going to drive 25 miles per hour. I pull up to a traffic light. My car hydroplanes flies into the car in front of it, flips over. I'm holding on to that steering wheel, thinking all that working out I'm doing, that's for this right now. Airbags go flying. I get out of the car without a scratch on my body. And the police come over to me like, dude, you got to get to the hospital right now. I'm like, no, no, no. Beast mode, man. I'm good. I'm cool. I'm wearing a suit and tie, you know, whole thing. And they're, uh, it doesn't look like a suit and a tie after you roll your car though. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was all over the place. And, I call my wife. I go, hon, I'm okay. Car's totaled. She had her father back down for, for uh, chemotherapy as it went this way. And she goes, you got to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. I'm cool. She goes, um, don't forget about our friend, Karen Mancini. We have a friend named Karen Mancini who one day is driving in a town called Bluebell, Pennsylvania. She pulls up to a traffic light and gets T-boned. Police come over to her and they go, you should go to the hospital just to get checked out. Three hours later, the doctors walk in and they go, uh, I want you to send flowers and a thank you note to the person that hit you. We found a brain aneurysm. You would have been dead three hours from now. 
thought about my kids. I thought about my wife. And like a type A personality, I brought my car back on a tow truck and rented one and went on my way. And that night, my head was killing me. I've never really had a headache before. My wife suffers from chronic migraines. And my father-in-law sitting on the couch dealing with chemotherapy. I've got two kids. Now I have three kids running around. My daughter is born at this point. And my head's killing me. And my wife goes, did you go to the hospital? I'm like, no. She goes, I don't want to hear about it. Try getting chronic migraines. Over the next two weeks, the pain got more and more severe every single day. Two weeks later, I started to lose all ability to sleep. I'd be sitting on the couch with my father-in-law, Larry, trying to watch a baseball game. And I'd pass out from 8.30 to 10 and wake up in severe pain and couldn't go back to bed. Mm. I speak all over the place on my profession. I would start giving speeches. And I'll never forget giving a speech at a Maggiano's with about 100 people. And as I go to make a point, slur and gurgle poured out of my mouth. Wow. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was going on, but I saw myself standing outside my body saying, you are having a stroke. You are having a stroke. Wow. It felt like an eternity. About five to six seconds later, I was like, oh, God, I'm not sleeping well. Let's bounce back into this. I went to my car, scared out of my mind. Over the next few weeks, I had about nine more of those stroke type things. And on May 14th, 2013, I was given a speech in front of about 300 people. And what would happen is, I would now know when I was going to get these strokes. A hot flash would hit me in the face, just like a pregnant woman. I felt a hot flash hit me. I turned my back on everybody to point to a PowerPoint because I knew they couldn't see it. And that was the moment I decided I'm going to the hospital right this second. I finished my speech. About 30 hands go up. Pretty good, usually, for salespeople. If 30 hands go up, man, doing pretty good. What everybody in the room remembers is my head just dropped like this. I answered one question. I said, oh, my goodness, I'm running late. I got to go. Got in my car, peeled out, called my wife who was shopping in a place called the King of Prussia Mall, taking a break for my father as his roller coaster started to go back down. Um, and I went to a place called Capital Health in Hopewell, New Jersey. I had a 90-minute ride. It was a hospital right near my house, very high-end hospital. As I'm driving down, my head's all over, like, okay, they're going to give me medicine. They'll figure this out. Maybe I'm going to die. I, I don't know. I meet my wife in the parking lot. We walk in. Doctor says to me, goes, we got to give you a CAT scan. I'm like, yeah, man, cool. Like an x-ray, no big deal. Give me a CAT scan. So I go and get the CAT scan. About three hours later, they walk in. They go, Mr. Newman, we know the problem. I'm like, yeah, diagnose it, fix it. Let's move on. You have a lesion right here on your left frontal lobe. And to me, a lesion's a cut or a bruise. So you know what I'm thinking? Car accident. Probably dinged my head. Didn't really, I should have went to the doctor. This one's on me. They go, it's causing massive pain. I'm like, oh, I know the half of it. It's causing you not to sleep. And Mr. Newman, you're not having strokes. You're having seizures in the left frontal lobe of your brain. And as tough as that sounds to take on, I was like, yeah, that's okay. What do we got to do? So I went for MRI after MRI, MRI, MRI. At three o'clock in the morning, they told me they got to do one more MRI, MRA with contrast. My wife says she's going to go home, find a ride for my father-in-law for his chemotherapy make lunch for my three kids under five years old, and then she'll be back in an hour and a half. I go, yeah, I got to go in the tube. Take your time. So they come in to bring me down to the tube, and the nurse looks at me, and she goes, all right, Mr. Newman, jump in the wheelchair. We got to take you down for your MRI, MRI. I'm like, I don't need the wheelchair. I can walk. She goes, you got it. It's liability. So I get in the wheelchair, and she comes up behind me, grabs the clipboard, MRI, MRA with contrast. All right, Mr. Newman, we need to see how big your brain tumor is. I go, it's a lesion. That's the moment at 39, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. And I started to immediately look at life through a different lens. They took me in for an hour and a half, went through the whole thing, brought me back to a room, 
plugged me into about 30 different machines. And I'd start to cry. I sort of retrospective on my life. The reality is you find out you have brain cancer, you're going to die. That's the perception. And I started to think I'm a good dad. I'm a good son. You're, you're doing this to my children. I got three kids under five. My father-in-law's dying over here. You're putting my wife in this situation. And strength is not how big your arms are. Strength is not how much you bench press. Strength is something that's located deep down in our bellies that at the deepest and darkest of times, we could grab it, we could own it, and we could make it ours. I didn't know we had it. I had it in me, but I saw it. I took it, and I just started screaming and cursing my brains out. And the nurses came running, and they go, oh, my God, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. That was my pity party. If I was going down, I was going down swinging. The next morning, the surgeon comes in with my wife, who's wiping her eyes like this. He says, let me tell you what we're going to do. I go, let me tell you what we're going to do. You're going to get this crap out of my head and I'm going to take care of the rest. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going down. And he goes, don't move. He goes, Mr. Newman, you're going to get a full craniotomy on Friday. This was on Wednesday. He said, we're going to cut half your head off, pull it back, take the brain tumor out, and we'll know the severity of it a little bit later on. He said, but I want you to read this study by the American Medical Association. And it was on something called the downward spiral. What the downward spiral is, you ever hear about the married couple? They're married for 50 years. Husband dies of cancer. Wife's healthy as a horse. What do we hear often happen six months later? Yep. There you go. Once you fall into the downward spiral of regret, resentment, negativity, you know what the odds of getting out of it are? Not good. Pretty much none. No. So it's interesting. I read this study and I turned to my wife. I go, hon, do me a favor. Give me the iPad. She goes, yeah. You know, your, parent, your parents are coming and my parents are coming. They'll be here in about a half hour. I go, just give me the iPad. She goes, you want to watch a movie? I go, just give me the iPad. That was the moment I decided I need to make sure everything's prepared and taken care of because I might not make it through this. You know what the first thing I pulled up was? My will. Box checked. Power of attorney. Something happens to me. My wife will have all the decision making. College planning. Life insurance. Check. And I realized at that moment that every single speech I ever gave was actually about me. I was the shoemakers had no shoes. I just learned about the downward spiral and I was just, they they just poured gasoline on the fire. I was red. Now I don't have to worry about that. I don't need to take. So my parents come in, her parents come in, her parents didn't come in. That's not true. My cancer partner came in and he just nodded at me and I nodded at him. And what I realized things happened for a reason. And he taught me how to fight with independence, with dignity. He taught me the way to act, how to take on the challenge. And I realized things were making a lot more sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I called my dad over. I go, dad, I want to show you something. He goes, yeah. So I pulled out the iPad and I'm plugged into the machines. And I showed him my will. And I showed him my estate planning. And I showed him things that it's not how much money you have. It's having that foundation to alleviate regret and resentment. And I finished showing it all. And I took that iPad and I threw it on the bed. And I said, dad, there's only one thing on my mind. He goes, what's that? I go beating this disease. I don't got to worry about any of that crap. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging. And for the first time in my life, I saw my dad cry. And my dad just broke down. And he looked at me and said, you're going to beat this. I said, I know I'm going to beat this. And he said, this is the message that you're going to deliver. And I went through surgery. I went through chemo. I went through radiation. Unfortunately, Larry passed on about a year later. And I remember sitting with him. He weighed about 80 pounds. He was emaciated. He couldn't move. He couldn't talk. All he could do was wiggle his eyelids. And we went up to mining country, Pennsylvania. And I remember looking at him going, Larry, I got this. This is on me now. 
You might leave us spiritually or physically. You'll never leave us spiritually. Your legacy is defined. Let me take care of this. Go someplace where you're better. And he passed two hours later. I know he was waiting to say goodbye to me. He was waiting for the handoff. He was waiting to know that everything he did for me, I got this now. But here's the interesting part. Change does two things. Change breeds opportunity or change breeds complacency. I started to look at life differently. I started to have a new set of lenses and have a better understanding. So what I started to do was I started to write. I started to write because of all the positive and the messages I was sending out, my optimism, my belief, the reality is you're taking anxiety and fear and you're shoving them down into your belly. That's just, a, I needed to find an outlet for it. So anytime something happened, cause I would have to go for, they told me I had a grade three astrocytoma, a very aggressive cancer. Every three months I'll have to go get MRIs and tests. This is my life. I own this. Cancer is just along for the ride. I'm going to do what I do, but I'll go do these tests. And every time I engulfed these tests and had to get some type of fear I dealt with, I would write and I would send emails out to friends and family and just shoot it out to them because it made me feel better. Four years into it, I had 20,000 people following these emails. I would get this every day. Hey, Matt, could you put my brother on this? Could you put that person on this person? Never thought about it. Never did social media. What I realized is cancer is like buying a car. You buy the car, you leave the lot, you go, look at that. I'm seeing the car everywhere. Not true. The car was always there. You just never noticed it before you had a direct connection. And this is going to attribute to sales as well, too. So we get to my four-year anniversary of going through cancer. Four years is a big deal of being free. And I go for my tests and they say the same thing they say to me every three months. Mr. Newman, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Uh, everything looks good. But remember, you have an aggressive cancer, probably grow back. And I would always say to them, you could leave that last part out. You don't have to tell me that it's going to grow back. It's my life. I own this journey. And that weekend, we were going to celebrate my four-year anniversary, which is a big deal. That Friday, I come home from playing golf with my dad. I'm spending more time with family. I'm living in the moment. I'm understanding that memories are about the memories I'm giving to my kids. It's not about me being on my phone. It's about them knowing I'm paying attention to them and we're appreciating the moment and living in the now. And we get home that Friday and my son, Luke, who's nine years old, is writhing in pain on the couch. Like, what's going on? My wife, because he was riding his bike and we live in a very rural area. We're Washington Cross the Delaware. It's called Washington Crossing, Pennsylvania. And he was riding his bike and a car came. So he pulled to the side of the road and the handlebars turned and hit him in the stomach. Falls. So I walk over, I pull his shirt up. There's no bruise. There's no cut. And I have the same talk that everybody has to have with their son at some point. Son, we all fall off of our bikes many times. <laughs> it's alcohol induced, but we all fall off our bikes. <laughs> These things happen. You're going to be fine. So the next day I take him to the Philadelphia Union soccer game. And um, he is just like in pain and walking slow. And I'm like, come on, man, let's go. Let's go. Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate four years of being cancer-free. It's my weekend. And he wakes up at 4.30 in the morning, writhing in pain. I'm like, I got to take him to the hospital. This is ridiculous. I take him to the same hospital that I was just at. When you go to a suburban hospital at 4.30 in the morning on a Sunday, there's nobody there. So we walk in. They tell that we go to the same room I was diagnosed with cancer in, the same room I got told I got to get surgery in, the same room that I just got told four years, see in three months, Mr. Newman. We walk in and they go, you got to get a CAT scan. I go, Lukey, buddy, CAT scan's easy. It's like an x-ray, man. I'm taking pictures of him. There's not a soul in the hospital. 20 minutes later, the nurse comes out or the doctor comes out and she goes, Mr. Newman, can I talk to you in the other room? 
I go, why? There's nobody here. She goes, can I talk to you in the other room? I go, yeah. I walk in the other room. She goes, his liver is completely lacerated. He needs to be medevaced to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia right this second. I go, what? She goes, he needs to be put on a helicopter now. My first thought was, give me the freaking cancer back, man. Really? You're doing this to my son right now? We live five minutes away. My wife drives up. They load him on a plane. Gone. I'm driving now with anger going, why? Why, why, why? This is my day. Why are you doing this? I get down to CHOP, which is the best children's hospital on the planet Earth. And unfortunately, we've been there more than we need to. I get down there. My wife's in there with him. 20 doctors are poking him with a whole bunch of stuff. And they come on. We're trying to hold our tears back and show strength. And I remember the doctor coming up to us. He goes, so here's the good news. The liver's a regenerating organ. Here's the bad news. If there's a blood infection, you have a serious, serious problem. I go, okay, so when we take him home, what should we do? He goes, take him home? You're going to the ICU for like a week. The people that work in the ICU, the doctors and the nurses are not nearly given the credit that they deserve for leaving their emotion on the door and helping these people. We walk up there in the room next to us. There was a two day old being held by his dad in a hazmat suit next to us. The other side, the siren went off and they weren't there a few hours later. And the baby was less than a week old. This was going on nonstop. I knew we'd leave if there was no infection. I knew the majority of people wouldn't. And my heart would just drop. And my, the strength that these parents and doctors would show, you can't make that up. So my wife shows me pictures of the helicopter. And she says, Matt, the guy's name was Michael Murphy. I want to send him something. I was freaking out. Luke was freaking out. I'm so appreciative. I want to send something to show him thanks for taking care of us. But yeah. Six days later, we got to leave. My wife and I said a prayer for all the people that were still there. Got in the car. We took Luke home. And we knew 12 weeks later that if there was no fighting, no nothing, and no infection, he's going to be just fine. But it changed our perspective on life. So the next day, I finally put a suit back on. I've been in the hospital in the same clothes for six days. Go back to work. My wife calls me. I don't answer because I'm on a call. And I get a text from her. Give me a ring, Matt. I can't stop crying. Crying? My wife doesn't cry. She's from the, I told you, she's from mining country. She's tough. Intimidating sometimes, I could throw out to you for a little girl. <laughs> I call her up. I go, what's going on? She goes, are you watching the news? I go, no, I'm walking into a meeting. What's the deal? She goes, the helicopter that just took me and Luke down the chop just went down in Newcastle, Delaware. Wow. I go, what? She goes, and the pilot was Michael Murphy. And you know what all I thought was? Really? Like the, the, for the brain cancer, the kid, my father-in-law died. Really? This is where we're at? Please let this guy have done some planning. Let him have something to give his family some hope, something there. Let someone be there for him when things are bad for his family. And the next day, a GoFundMe page came out for him because he had a pregnant wife at home and a two-year-old and did no planning for them in any way whatsoever. The crazy part about this is it changes your perspective on life and you realize how fragile things can be. But it also goes to show that when my book came out and I wrote it to make me feel better, I never expected a soul would read it. I did it for myself. On March 28, 2018, I called my mom. I go, mom, the book's coming out. She goes, you know, no one's going to buy it, right? I go, God, it cares about me. She goes, but you put three copies in your safe when you're done. So that way your kids can read about the realities of what happened when you got older. I said, 100%, mom, I'm with you. 
And one week later, we were number one on Amazon in four different categories. Here's why I bring that up. I understood what people want. They want honesty. They want realness. They want to know they're not alone on their path. This is what happens with sales. It's not about shtick. It's not about giving some pitch and some product. It's people buy us. They buy our belief. And when you hit someone in the heartstrings with something that someone in their family's been through, something that's real, something that means something, all of a sudden, you may not have the best CD rate. You may not have the best product. You may not have the best widget. It doesn't matter. They buy the experience of what you created. And for those of us that have not acclimated to connect with people in the spot where it means more than just a salesperson, but you become an extended member of the family, what I saw was a new vision on life. And I saw that I don't even have to talk about what I sell half the time. I have to talk about the relationship and the understanding of dreams and aspirations of other people and everything will follow. I'm speechless, by the way, but hey, Matt, you want to be the champion for selling from the heart? <laughs> you know i i mean yeah i know our podcast has gone a little bit longer than normal yeah and i'm sorry for that no no it's great i mean this is a story that needs to be told for one simple reason and 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 i'm listening to this and and by the way listeners i've heard you know i've watched his ted talks before around this and i cry every time because my father-in-law has got stage four bone cancer for the last two years but we're going through something right now that had no one seen before and salespeople are looking at this going why me sales leaders are looking at this going why me business owners are looking at it as why me what do we have to do how are we going to react and so forth but it goes back to this and, and matt said it better than any of us probably can it's the planning it's the preparation it's everything that you've done so that when situations like this happen you're prepared for it so, I, I mean, this is, this, this is selling from the heart. This is leading from the heart. This is serving from the heart. I mean, I can't tell you how much that I appreciate you sharing your story. It, it really means a lot. Thank you. No, listen, it, it's my honor. And, and what's interesting is you can do two things when this happens. You can take this information and you could learn something new because you're given this gift. You could find the positive and the negative, but you know, give it back. When they start to get better, when they start to do some different things, they start to go back to old ways. Mm-hmm. One of my goals is to never give back the gifts that the gifts I took from cancer. And those are gifts that I will refuse to allow cancer to be known for. I don't want to be known as, you know, the cancer guy. Cancer was just part of my overall experience that allowed me to learn from it and take gifts from it that I can translate into better connection and better relationships. So good. There are so many different things we can draw out of this. I think we're going to be chewing on this episode for quite some time now. And, you know, if you think about the world that we're living in, um, there are a lot of people, um, some, many of you listening in, I mean, at some level, we're all going through some adversity right now. The client's that you serve, uh, if they're business owners that have had to lay off their staff, if they are maybe, you know, who knows what, there are all kinds of fallout um, from the things that are happening right now in our world. And uh, I think this, the perspectives and, and the, the, the refocus that, that you talked about in your life are things that we can look to right now and go, okay, what, you know, there's, there's a lot of hard things going on right now, but what can I draw out of this? And, 
you know, how, how can I also in this, at the same time, be an encouragement to the people that are around me? So man, Matt, I'm just, I'm like Larry, I'm speechless. Uh, there's so <laughs> much, so many things. Your story is truly, um, an inspiration. And, um, I just, I want to say a sincere thank you for number one, just who you are, um, and how you came through the situations in your life. It's inspirational. Um, it is, it's just incredible. Um, and I also just want to say thank you for, um, telling your story and being real. And that's, uh, you know, when, when you boil it all down, authenticity is being real. And every one of us has a story. I think as salespeople, sometimes we try to hide from that story. I agree. Um, but you know, in, in terms of reality and Larry, you talked earlier about the gifts of imperfection, that's, you know, it's those imperfections and it's those challenges, that adversity along the way, that's what makes us human. <laughs> that's what makes us real people. And, um, so dive into that, you know, don't, don't be afraid of that. There's gold, um, in that. And I think there's gold to come from the adversity of this season right now. Oh, I, I think, what are you taking from it? One of the things I do when I talk to people in sales, is I point out, People buy you. Mm -hmm. So don't be the person wearing the same shoes of mm -hmm. the same suit with the same color tie, with the same Allen Edmund shoes, with the same Rolex watch. I mean, you don't become a real face. You have to do something that leaves an indelible mark on someone to remember you, to look forward to speaking to you, to know that if they need something, you'll be there for them in whatever craft it is that you're in. But the reality is we really earn our salt regardless what sales you're in when you provide somebody something good when things are bad. And that's when you win clients for life. I hope people are looking at what's going on and understanding it might be the biggest opportunity some of us ever go through in sales because most people are crawling into their rabbit hole right now. Now is when we are present and we are prevalent. And that is a game changer. Perfect. So true. Matt, man, thank you so much for sharing well, time with you. us this, this afternoon. This is an absolute honor. You know, as we do for all the Selling from the Hard guests, um, Larry's going to get your address afterwards. We've got a nice sleeve of golf balls. By the way, do we have Yankee symbols on it? That was good. Seriously, though, I know our listeners are going to want to check out the TED Talks in your book. We'll put those in the show notes on the podcast. You'll find that on our website as well. Matt, I sincerely appreciate you. And what a just wow, just awesome. Thank you. We deeply appreciate you. And thank you guys. Stay safe, everybody. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And to everyone else for joining us in the Selling from the Heart community, keep being genuine, keep being authentic, keep adding real value. Look for the good in this season. Dig in, go deep in your heart. And most of all, sell from the heart. Thanks for listening to the Selling from the Heart podcast on the SalesCast Network. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We appreciate your encouraging reviews as it helps us spread the word. As always, we would love to connect with you. So look for us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and your favorite podcast platform. This podcast is produced by our friends at SalesCast. Learn more at www.salescast.co. We look forward to seeing you next time.